As we continue to work through our sermon series, God's Story, Our Story, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. It is the story of Christmas, but it is also the story of the great intervention of God, God intervening into the brokenness of our world. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. This passage also, you'll see, helps us to understand why the Bible is written and how it's written. The Bible is not written in putting together random stories that have no connection to one another. But instead, it tells one story from beginning to end. You'll note in this passage that it says three times that this was done in order for it to be fulfilled, in order for it to be fulfilled for what the prophet had said. This is why Jesus came. Remember the context of Matthew chapter 2. The magi or the wise men had traveled from Persia from the east to visit the child that was born king of the Jews. Shortly after the Magi had departed, word had gotten to Mary and Joseph that King Herod, the functional king at the time, had issued a decree to slaughter any child, any male child under the age of two, causing Mary and Joseph to flee for their lives and for the lives of their child. They flee to Egypt where they rest and they hide and they stay, only to eventually return to a city called Nazareth. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. See the connection between Old Testament and New Testament. Then Herod, when he saw that it had, he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men, then it was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel, of course, the husband of Jacob, that figuratively they represent the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. So Jeremiah is saying the entire nation of Israel is weeping for the slaughter of their children. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those that sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that was what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he might be called a Nazarene. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen and amen. It's the most wonderful time of the year, they tell us. 
For some of us, it's the most exhausting time of the year. Particularly this year, 2020, it's maybe hard for some of us to even muster the strength to enjoy this celebration, this Christmas season. The irony is that when we look back on the Christmas story, particularly this passage that we just read, we don't see Christmas as the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, it was the first Christmas that was hardly anything good or anything wonderful. If anything, the first Christmas 2,000 years ago was harsh and it was ugly. You see, the story of Christmas is the story of God's intervention into the brokenness of the world. The story of Christmas is God looking at the world and saying, I've had enough. I've had enough of the darkness. I've had enough of the brokenness. I've had enough. And it's God breaking forth into the world in the person of Jesus Christ to bring us an intervention of epic proportions. But the first Christmas was hardly the most wonderful time of the year. We needed an intervention 2,000 years ago and we continue to need the intervention of God through the person of Jesus Christ yet today. So what can we learn about this great intervention that happened at the first Christmas? The first thing I want to point out in the passage this morning is that this intervention of God through Jesus Christ was resisted. It is a resisted intervention and it is resisted at all cost. You know, most babies are brought into the world and the people are filled with great delight and great joy. That's what a baby does when it's born, but not this baby, Jesus. As soon as this baby is born into the world, we are told in verse 14 that Herod wants to put this child to death. Herod resists the intervention of God at all cost and issues a decree in order for the Christ child, the child that is born king of the Jews, to be rid of. Herod issues a decree in order that all male children under the age of two might be wiped from the face of the earth. You see at what length Herod goes to a man that is the epitome of pure evil, but you see at what lengths he will go to to resist the one thing, whether he realizes it or not, the one thing he needs most, an intervention from on high, he will stop at nothing to resist this intervention. But here's the truth. We have been resisting the intervention of God from the garden. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, We have been resisting the authority and the kingship of God over our lives. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, we have lived a life that screams, My, 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 my life, my career, my marriage, my kids, my finances. And if we're all honest, we will stop at nothing to resist the intervention of God The intervention of God that says that he has sole authority over our lives. The authority of God that comes in and says you cannot save yourself, but you need an intervention from on high. 
You see, this is the reason why even once we become a Christian, it becomes so hard at times to believe and to trust and to serve and to rest. Even as a Christian, when we find it hard to believe, that is residual resistance. That's why it's so important to be involved in Bible study, to be praying every day and to be attending worship, to be in godly fellowship with one another because it is a fight. It is a fight to believe. I don't care whether you've been a Christian for three years or 33 years. It is a fight to believe. It is a fight to trust. It is a fight to serve. It is a fight to rest in the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the residual resistance that resides in each one of us, resisting the authority and the intervention of our God. We need to fight to believe and to trust and to rest, a resisted intervention. But the second thing that we see is not only is this intervention resisted, but it is victorious. It will be a victorious intervention. You see, the message of Matthew 2 And really the message of the entire Christmas story is that you can resist the intervention of God, but it's futile. Do you notice how often in this passage it says an angel appeared, an angel appeared, an angel appeared. And not only in this passage, but all throughout the Christmas story that we've been reading the last few weeks. How often does it seem like, okay, God, you're finally stopped. God, finally the mission is over. And what does it say? Time and time again, an angel appeared, an angel appeared, an angel appeared because the intervention of God at Christmas announces to the world that you can resist, but to no avail. Our God will be victorious in the end. Think of all of the ways in which God's plan could have been thwarted and stopped. Mary could have been stoned for committing adultery. Herod could have been waiting in the exact place where Jesus was going to be born. Jesus could have been caught and killed and the whole plan of God could have been stopped. But time and time again, we see God intervening, an angel appearing every step of the way. And listen to me, this is the glorious hope and comfort of Christmas because there are some of you here this morning and some of you watching online that are saying to yourself, I don't believe anymore. There's no way God can be for me. There's no way that God is at work in my life and at work in this world. And the good news of Christmas is over and over again. It is announced, yes, there will be resistance in this dark world, but the light has come into the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And you need to believe that. That is the objective truth and reality of Christmas. What great hope for us this morning. Our God, what he starts in your life, he will finish. God for his children will be victorious. You can resist the plan and the authority and the purposes of God, but you will not win. God will be victorious in the end. This intervention of God at Christmas will be resisted, but it will be victorious. But lastly, before we come to the Lord's table, this intervention is sacrificial. 
It is the sacrificial intervention of God through the person of Jesus Christ that makes the Christmas story so remarkable. For centuries, the people of God had awaited the arrival of God. They had waited, and finally they hear that God has come in the flesh, that the incarnation of God has finally happened. And you can imagine their expectation. Imagine you're told that the king or queen is going to make an announcement. The whole world sits at the edge of their seat waiting for the king or the queen to appear to the world. And then you see Jesus and it's quite a letdown, isn't it? You see Jesus who claims to be the king and he comes into this world and how does he appear? He's born into a poor family that has nothing to offer Mary, nine months pregnant, has to travel from Galilee to Bethlehem only to find that there is no place for her to give birth except a lowly manger. And then the opening years of Jesus' life, his family are running for their lives to Egypt, running for their lives in hiding. But here was the greatest insult of all to Jesus. When Jesus, we're told here at the end of the passage we read in verse 22 and 23, finally, when the angel appears to Joseph and says, it's time to come back to Israel, Joseph assumes it's time to come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city where the king was, quite a step up the social ladder for Joseph and Mary. But the angel says, not so fast, return to Israel, but don't come to Jerusalem because it's worse than when you left but instead go to Galilee. And we're told in verse 23 that he goes and settles in Nazareth. Now you have to understand the context of what is happening culturally and geographically to understand the magnitude of what is happening. You see, Galilee was like a state that had many different cities in it. And the people to the south, the people living in Judah, thought the people in Galilee were like country bumpkins. But in Galilee... Nazareth was the lowest of the low. It was the armpit of all of Galilee. So what we are told from Matthew is not only is Jesus raised in Galilee, that would have been bad enough, but in the worst town imaginable of all places, Nazareth. This was the greatest insult. But it is what is utterly shocking about the Christmas story that Jesus goes and becomes the lowest. He becomes the least in order to rescue us and save us from our sins. You see, Jesus enters into this world not highly exalted, but lowly and humbled so that there would never be a time in our lives where we would be able to fear and doubt. Jesus, do you resonate and identify with my weakness? So that regardless of what you're going through right now, you are able to say with confidence that Jesus empathizes with my weakness because it was through his sacrificial humility in the Christmas story that he is able to save a wretch like me. Jesus comes into the world and he takes the lowest place in order to serve us. 
in order to identify with us, in order to rescue us. And that is the glorious story of the Christmas message. It is a sacrificial intervention, a story of Jesus homeless and running for his life and a lowly Nazarene. That's how he intervenes. And that is how precious he is, you are to him. Jesus is announcing to the world at Christmas, I love you so much, I will stop at nothing. I will stop at nothing to have you. That is the good news of Christmas. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, Jesus announcing to the world, even my very life for you. The intervention of our God. In 2009 and 2010, Christian churches all over Nigeria were attacked by militant terrorists. And there was one church in particular in 2011 that said, I think this Christmas we're going to take this one off. The Christmas before, they had lost 12 members of their church family. And the pastor was very reluctant to have another Christmas service in the midst of such chaos, in the midst of such great suffering. But his church leadership convinced him and said, Pastor, no, we must have Christmas. Our people need Christmas. And so he reluctantly allowed uh, the church to reopen and have Christmas services. He thought just a few dozen people would show up. To his surprise, 1,200 people showed up on that Christmas Eve 2011, packed into this tiny village church, packed to the rafters, singing their heart out. Why? Because they were declaring on that Christmas that the light had entered into the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Listen to me. This Christmas, I want you to sing your heart out and to believe, to believe again because some of you have failed to believe and are struggling to believe and I want you to believe for the first time in a long term time. Yes, the light has entered the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. But for some of you, I want you to believe for the first time that the light can actually enter into my darkness and the darkness will not Overcome it. Do you know this Jesus? The one who brought about an intervention of epic proportions. The Jesus who comes into your life and announces to you this morning, you can't fix it, but he can. You can't fix your life. You can't fix your body. You can't fix your marriage. You can't fix your broken heart. But Jesus can. An intervention of epic proportions. This is the promise. He who believes in me has everlasting life. And the Apostle Paul makes it so simple for anyone here this morning or anyone watching at home. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you even believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the good news. This is the good news for you. May you not spend another day, another hour resisting this love. May it actually break your heart to think that all my life I have been resisting this love 
this sacrificial otherworldly love of the God who came down in Jesus Christ, may it break your heart to go another day resisting this type of intervention. And if you have, let me say in closing, if you have experienced this love, how could you not go forth from this place this morning into the darkness of our world, into a nation that is hurting and a society that is broken and go forth this Christmas season saying, I have the greatest news this world has ever heard. There is a God who has come down in the person of Jesus Christ and sacrificially given up his life so that you can live forever. Could you imagine waking up tomorrow morning could you imagine waking up the rest of your life saying the light, the light has entered into the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it.